And this is really all about Ananias and Sapphira and the lies that they were telling and being found out. And so let's get right into it and see what that means to us as Christians today. First, we'll ask God's blessing on the study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we rejoice, Father, that you are a God of truth and that you've given us the spirit of truth and a love for truth. We thank you. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We're following the story from Acts 1 when Christ was resurrected and spent 40 days with his apostles, teaching them, instructing them, and telling them that they would be his witnesses. And, and there were many infallible proofs of his resurrection. And the whole thrust of the message of the early church was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he, he came back to life from the grave. And so that's the focus of the message here. And with all boldness, they're proclaiming this, despite the resistance of the message by certainly the Sadducees and the high priest and others who, who hated this message, but they preached it with boldness, so with great power. And that's the whole point of Pentecost, that it would empower them to be his witnesses. And so we're, we, we can't have what I call scriptural amnesia, where when we finish a chapter, we leave that chapter uh, where, where, where it is in the past. No, we have to bring the whole thing with us. So as we're coming now, we're remembering this is all about Pentecost and the empowering of the church by the Holy Spirit and their ability then to preach with power, with great power as a result of Pentecost, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So everybody sold what they had, gave it to the apostles, and the apostles then distributed this wealth to make sure that everybody was looked after. And it says here, and uh, Jose or uh, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Bar-Nabas, uh, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So it almost seems like Luke is being repetitive here. First, he tells us that everybody who had land and possession sold it, gave the price of whatever they sold it for to the apostles and, and laid it at their feet. And now it seems like he's repeating himself and he says that Barnabas uh, did this as well. And, and I think what he's really doing here is setting up this contrast and, and maybe even telling us that it was because of Barnabas, well, Barnabas uh, Joseph, that he being the son of consolation, that is the son of encouragement, may have been the one that triggered this, that he was the example that everybody looked at and was inspired by, and that's what gave rise to this movement of sharing the wealth. And, and, and it's really important here that, that Luke calls out what Barnabas means, or Barnabas, uh, said Barnabas, uh, what it means, that it means son of consolation. And that word consolation is taken from the Greek paraklesis. Paraklesis sounds a lot like parakletos, which is the comforter. And in fact, if we look at here now, uh, so we'll come back to that in a second, but here in Romans 10, highlighting the fact that the wealth that was sold was brought to the apostles and laid at their feet. 
It says here in Romans 10, Paul writes, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is the opportunity now for people to have salvation if they call upon the name of the Lord. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So, so they have to have a preacher to hear the word of God and to be able to call on the name of Jesus. And how shall they preach except they be sent? So this, this preaching requires the miraculous intervention of God. It requires great boldness and great power. And who's going to have this boldness and power to preach in the midst of hatred of Christ unless they're sent by God himself? So how, and that's, that's the apostles then that are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So, so the, the word has to get out. It has to be preached. It can't be preached unless someone is sent. But those that are sent by God to preach this good news, how beautiful are their feet wherever they go. It's just a thing of, of grace and beauty. And it seems like the, the church understood how beautiful the feet of the apostles were. And so they sold their possessions, took their money, and laid it at these beautiful feet of the apostles who are bringing glad tidings. But notice now that this preaching that's done, this invitation to the gospel, this invitation to the kingdom, it's not done in, in full acceptance. Because he says here, he goes on in verse 16 of Romans 10, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So there are people who disobey the gospel, who hate the gospel message. So even though the, the word is being preached and is being sent by God, or people are being sent by God to preach it, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God has to get out there and then faith will come by that hearing but not everybody's going to believe. In fact, here in John, Christ's own words, he, he tells us that you've got to go and, and preach this message. But listen, all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake. Don't, don't take it personally. It's because of me. So they're going to do these things for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. So the, method, the preacher has to be sent. God sent Christ as his apostle. Christ sent the 12 apostles as Christ's apostles, but the person that's being sent preaches the message with power. It's not always well received. And Christ is telling them ahead of time that this is what they're going to do to you. And he says, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they wouldn't have had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. There's no way to hide it. He that hates me hates my father also. So Christ and his father are one. You can't take one but not the other. You can't say, I believe in the Father, but I don't believe in Christ. Or I believe in Christ, but I don't believe in the Father. They're one. And so if you hate Christ, you hate the Father also. But when the Comforter, the Paracletus, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit is a Spirit of Truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So, so you have to be sent, but in order to do this preaching, you need power. And so that's what Pentecost is all about, that the Holy Spirit comes into the apostles and it enables them then with the church to preach Christ with power. And it is the spirit of truth. It speaks the truth. 
which proceeds from the Father, it's what will testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. So, so when these things happen, don't be surprised, don't be upset, don't be turned away, don't be turned off. It's all prophesied that the, the, the preacher has to be sent. People have to hear this gospel of great news, good news, but it's not going to be well received. Even though it's the truth and it's preached by the spirit of truth, it's not going to be well received by everybody. They shall put you out of the synagogues, verse 2 of chapter 16, John 16. Yes, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. So, so there has to be some false doctrine that people are hearing that is resisting the true doctrine. So here is the truth of Christ. But somebody's got some false doctrine or somebody's whispering false doctrine in, in people's ears. So when they hear the, this truth, they hate it because they hate the Father and they hate the Son. And therefore, for the sake of Christ's name, they're going to kill them. And they'll think that they're doing God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not, not known the Father nor me. So how shall one preach unless he be sent? It requires miraculous power to preach this truth. Because when it's preached, Satan is going to hear it and he's going to want to destroy it. And he's going to want to destroy the people who are preaching it. So one has to be sent by God in order to preach this truth. Now notice what John writes after learning from Christ in 1 John 2, 18. He says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, that antichrist shall come. If they're against Christ, they're against the Father. If they hate Christ, they hate the Father, because Christ and the Father are one. So you have heard in the last time that Antichrist shall come. Even now, right now, already, there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And he goes on to say, But you have an unction from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy One, that you know all things. So the Holy Spirit teaches you so you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. So, so you're going to be resisted, and I'm writing to encourage you because you know the truth, and that no lie is of the truth. So this is all about truth and error, truth and lying, that there are people out there that are going to be liars, that are going to endorse lying, and then there's the truth. And the truth is that Christ is the Son of God, that he was crucified, that he was buried, and he was in the grave for three days and three nights, and by the miraculous power of God, he was resurrected and exalted. That's the truth. And that's what needs to be preached. But that's going to be resisted with lies. And those who embrace those lies are going to think that they're doing God's service by killing those who preach the truth. And no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Christ said that I and my Father are one. So if you deny that, that's Antichrist. Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the, the, the Son has the Father also. So it's a package. 
And notice the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here. It's, it's not a Trinity package. It's a Father and Son package. And that's very clear if you read the book of Revelation. At the very end, the, the Son turns everything over to the Father. And the Father comes down, and, and we all worship the Father with Christ. And it's a Father and Son package. And Christ is the pioneer of salvation for all of us. But we cannot deny the divinity of Christ. And John is writing very early on as this Gnostic movement was starting to gain ground. And today, we are facing the spirit of Antichrist. We are facing a very strong spirit against the divinity of Christ. And we're seeing that in the form of Islam. And a lot of people think that Islam has nothing to do with Christianity. But in Arabia and India, one of the apostles, Thomas, traveled to Arabia and traveled to India preaching the gospel. And as a result of that, the liars, the Gnostics, came up with this Gospel of Thomas. And if you read it, you don't have to get very far before you will burst out laughing. It is completely ridiculous, and it just has nothing to do with the truth. And no scholar takes this seriously. So the Gospel of Thomas denies the divinity of Christ and tries to play up that he was just a, a miracle worker. Now, Islam takes the Gospel of Thomas seriously. And in fact, it's very interesting because Muhammad's prophet, prophethood was endorsed by his, by his wife's cousin, Waraka, Waraka ibn uh, Nafil, who, who was a St. Thomas Christian. He was a heretic, uh, a heretic, and he did not believe fully in the divinity of Christ. And so that's where Muhammad got educated in, in his concept of Christ as not God. And so Islam is really an outgrowth, as John says, they, they went out from us so that it was shown that they were not of us. And so Saint, the, the, these Gnostic Christians who came up with the Gospel of St. Thomas, they came out of us, but they're not of us. And Islam came out of them. Islam's root is Gnostic Christianity. A lot of people don't realize that. And so we see now in Turkey, where as a result of the failed coup, media, there's this huge media crackdown, huge crackdown on any kind of a free speech, and, and we're going to see the, the Turkish, the former Ottoman Empire, rise up again. And if you're a Christian and you're in Turkey, I'd, I'd advise that you get out of there. We see ISIS rising up and, and Europe being as, uh, subject to Islamification and possibly uh, uh, North America being subject to Islamification. Mm -hmm. We see Saudi Arabia rising up in, um, in, in uh, its, its uh, capabilities through, through oil as a result of oil, kind of hit the lottery and the power now of Saudi Arabia in this last time. So we're seeing this, this spirit of Antichrist sweeping over the world, denying the Son, hating the divinity of Christ, and the Father and Son come as a package. So going back to the, the scripture then, whoever denies the Son, this truth that comes from the Holy Spirit, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So going back to Acts now, where we saw, and then again, what I was saying here is that Luke calls out Joseph uh, Barnabas uh, and, and calls out that he's the son of consolation, as if what he's saying is this act of Jose to, to share his wealth with the apostles and, and have it distributed and, and be subject to them, to say, here it is, and, and you guys, I trust that you will look after me as, as I need looking after and as everybody look, needs looking after, that that act was inspired by the Comforter, which Christ promised to give. And so they call him the Son of the Comforter, the Son of Comfort. Uh, and so as a result of that, it seems that he's saying 
that that's why that's what triggered everyone else then to share and, and behave the same way now when everybody saw this and, and called out Barnabas to say what a wonderful example a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession so they they followed suit they followed the example now uh, Barnabas would have done it out of comfort wanting to encourage the apostles so that they know that they have the ability to be sent and preach this gospel and wanting to encourage the the brethren and make sure that everybody was looked after so that was and, and again this is all about Pentecost and the movement of the Holy said that we, we entitled this study Acts of the Holy Spirit the real what it should be called is Acts of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was acting in the Gospel of Luke and Luke continues to show that Jesus Christ continues to work on earth after his resurrection so it's the Acts of Jesus Christ but but for our purposes we're calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's that comforter that Jesus promised to send that is enabling these men to do what they're doing so we're seeing the Acts of the Holy Spirit and even this act of Bar Barnabas is an act of the Holy Spirit the son of comfort it's an act of the comforter to comfort the apostles to comfort the brethren so Ananias now sees this act and thinks he wants, he, he loves the praise, perhaps the recognition that Barnabas is getting. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. So this is different. Uh, everyone else was selling and, they, and then everything was distributed so everybody was looked after. But in this case, they kept back a part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid that at the apostles' feet. And so, so that's what they, they're doing now is they're taking a part of it and, and trying to behave and look like everybody else. And it's like, wow, we're, we're in this too. And maybe, maybe it was significant. Maybe it was more than most, but it wasn't everything. And they were now acting like, oh, we're impoverished too. And, and we have this great faith like, like Barnabas has and like everybody else has. So they laid that at the apostles' feet. And Peter saw straight through it. And you, you saw in the opening segment there how difficult it is to know when people are lying to you. Because there's no single act, no single technique to, to say, I'm not lying. Because if there was, then everybody would just do that. It's, it's very, very hard. There's so many different signs that we have to look for. But again, this is the movement of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, knowing that no lie is of the truth that this is a spirit of truth, he, God, God shows him what's going on. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now, this is a text that people use to prove the Trinity. They'll say that, you know, you can't lie to an essence, you can't lie to energy, uh, you, you can only lie to people, therefore the Holy Spirit is a person, therefore this proves the Trinity. Well, that's not really what's going on here. If you actually look at the Greek text here, in um, Acts 3, how Acts 5, verse 3, where it says here, Epidepetros, he said to Peter, Anania, Diati, why? Epleresen. You, you, so you're lying. Why have you... Uh, or so this is to be filled with. Uh, Satan. So word order is uh, not important to the Greek in terms of the way it is in English. But it says, so Satan, ho satanas. Tain kardian, your, the heart. 
of you, Su. Su saste, that is to lie. We have like pseudo, we, the, the Greek word pseudo or root pseudo, to lie, you. And then it just says to numa to agion, so Holy Spirit. So there are no prepositions in Greek. When we move from Greek, uh, a very uh, inflected language, to English, in order to make sense of it, we have to supply the prepositions. All this really says is that uh, Satan has filled the heart of you to lie or, or lying, uh, you're lying, Holy Spirit. But to make sense of that, we then fill in these prepositions to say he's filled your heart. So we know that Satan is the filler. Uh, it is, he, he's in the nominative case, so the subject is Satan. And then your heart and Holy Spirit are in the accusative case. They receive the action. So Satan is doing the action. Your, your heart is receiving it. And the Holy Spirit is receiving the action. And so to make sense of this now, we supply these prepositions. But again, if we think in terms of the context of everything that we've been through in Acts and what Luke is trying to, to show here, the movement of the Holy Spirit in order to endorse and justify Paul's ministry, uh, what we see is the Holy Spirit coming down on Pentecost, filling everybody, enabling everybody to act uh, miraculously through the, po the power of the Holy Spirit with healing, with preaching, with powerful testimony, and empowering the Son of Comfort, the Comforter empowering the Son of Comfort to, to do this charitable act, having this gift of charity uh, that Barnabas had that inspired everybody else to behave this way. And, and then Ananias wanting part of the action and pretending that he too is moved this way. And so I think if I were to supply the, the uh, translation here, I would say, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie and to lie? Two is sense, it makes sense there because lie is in the infinitive case. So when we move it from Greek to English, it's to lie, the, the infinitive verb. I, I would say to lie about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is still receiving the action the preposition that I would use in terms of how it receives the action is to lie about the Holy Spirit. You're, you're pretending that the Holy Spirit is empowering you and you're misleading everybody and so you're lying about the Holy Spirit. It's not empowering you, but you're pretending that it is. And to keep that part of the price of the land. Now this actually makes sense because the punishment that Ananias receives as a result of lying about the Holy Spirit, Christ actually prophesied. He says, therefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy, and notice against, is in italics. Because what they're showing you is as they move from uh, the Greek to English, they have to supply the prepositions. And so here they would say against, again I would say about. But the blasphemy about the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. And that's why Ananias was struck dead because it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So going back to uh, Acts 5, uh, but Peter said, Ananias, uh, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You should have known that the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully in the church. Did you think you could get away with this? Why has he filled your heart uh, to, to, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land and to, to make it appear like you're being empowered like everybody else by the Holy Spirit? While it remained, wasn't it yours? Nobody was forcing you to do this. This is all voluntary. Uh, this is the, where, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. As it says in, uh, I believe that's in 
um, Corinthians, Second Corinthians 3. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, wasn't it in your own power? This is, you, you don't have, nobody's forcing you to do this. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You, you've, you've colluded, there's collusion with you and the devil to do, what, 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 are you, what, what are you doing? Are you trying to rise up in rank in the church to be in a position of influence so that Satan can use you to destroy the church? Well, God's not having that. He's laying the foundation of the church and he's not going to allow you to succeed. The, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Notice this, he says, you have not lied unto men, but unto God. So, so this is the issue. You're lying about the Holy Spirit. You're, you think you're deceiving men. So we're all looking at you and thinking, wow, look at that. Look at that. Look how much money he's bringing. That's amazing. So, so we're all being deceived, but the Holy Spirit sees through it. And he's saying, you've not lied unto men, but unto God. So how is this? How is it that he's lying unto God? I'm saying he's lying about the Holy Spirit to men. But now Peter is saying, you haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. And that, I think, is explained in Colossians 1 and verse 18, that Christ is the head of the body. And that's what Luke is writing about, that after his death, burial, and resurrection, he rose to heaven, he sent down the Holy Spirit, and he continues to work. Now the church, so he's still on earth, he's still working with these men that are his body. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so he's the first one to be born again, the rest of us will follow at his appearing, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And, and when you treat the church a certain way, that's how you're treating me, whether for good or for bad, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats depending on how they treated him. And so here, you've not lied unto men, but unto God, because the church is Christ, as the Holy Spirit empowers them. So he says, you know, you, you, had, you, you could have uh, done this, You've not lied unto God, but unto men. And verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, he fell down dead. He fell down and gave up the, the spirit in man. Not the Holy Spirit, but he just had the, the spirit, gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these words. They, they realized like, wow, this is real. And they've watched since Pentecost the Holy Spirit moving. They've seen the miraculous healing. They've seen the powerful preaching with boldness. They see the Holy Spirit and they experience the Holy Spirit moving. And this is now this man tries to deceive and pretend that he's empowered by the Holy Spirit and God strikes him down dead. And so this is, off, this is awesome. And great fear came upon them. And the young men arose, wound him up, bound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what happened, came in. So, so she thinks this great uh, design that they came up with, that her husband is now going to be honored, and a lot of women will support their husbands and try to push their husbands forward, because when the husband is honored, they're, they're, they get that honor too. And so this was her way of kind of moving up in the world. And so she's happy now to come in and say, is it, oh, my, my husband, he's just so spiritual. He's so giving. He thinks so much of others. And, oh, you know, I tried to discourage him, but no, he, you know, we, we just thought this was the right thing to do. This is the godly thing to do. And so Peter answered unto her, tell me, whether you sold the land for so much. Because so, this is what Ananias told us, that, that this is how much he, he sold the land for. And she said, yes, yeah, that's right, for so much. Then Peter said to her, he's, he's like beside himself. This is amazing. You know, it's not just that Ananias did it, 
but you did it together. You, you agreed together. He says, how is it? Like, man, really? How is it that you've agreed together to try the Spirit of the Lord? Like, do you not understand that Jesus Christ is moving here on earth and that this is a spirit of truth? How, how did you come up with this together? And it's not just one of you. Both of you agreed to do this, to, to try the Spirit together. Then Peter said to her, Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out. Then she fell down immediately at his feet. And again, it's really, Luke is really playing on here, the feet. So everybody's bringing the wealth and laying it at their feet. They're then distributing it. And Barnabas was the one who, I think, initiated that. And then uh, Ananias came and did the same thing. And then he fell at the apostles' feet. And then she did as well, fell at the apostles' feet. So this, the, how beautiful are the feet of truth, preaching the truth. So, so the young man came in, so she fell down, yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in, so three hours later they come back from burying her husband, and found her dead, and carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. So there they are, the, the liars, the ones who try to come into the, the church, and deceive the church, and, and pretend that the Holy Spirit was uh, acting in them, and lying about the Holy Spirit, and great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things. So not just the church, but everybody who heard these things, they were in, in awe of the power of God and His Holy Spirit. And now, so it's all feet, feet, feet. And now by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Remember, the Holy Spirit is working in the church as the body of Christ. The head is in heaven, but the hands and feet are on earth. And, and here now, the hands of the apostles were, uh, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. There was complete unity. And that's again what the Holy Spirit does, that everybody realizes they all have different gifts, but every gift is for the benefit of all. And now we see that in 1 Corinthians 12, that we're, we're, we're here to serve one another. And, and so we're empowered, and Christ gives us the comforter that enables us to love one another and comfort one another and preach the truth of the gospel boldly. So here they're all in one accord. There's no, oh, I want to do miracles and signs too. I want to be seen. No, wherever the Spirit works, that's where it works. And they're all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, dared no man join himself to them. So, so you know, people were joining the church, uh, but there were people who were like, wow, you know, maybe their heart isn't right and they know that. They're not going to take the chance, given what just happened to Ananias and Sapphira. But the people magnified them. They realized, wow, God is at work. And believers, people who, again, the, you hear the gospel, you've got to respond to it. So those who responded to the preaching, uh, the believers were more, the more added to the Lord. So multitudes, both of men and women. So the church is just growing and growing through this powerful testimony. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the city, so lots of people coming, multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. I mean, this, this is a, if there's ever cause for joy, ever cause for celebration, 
ever cause for praising God, here it is. That, that people who've been vexed with unclean spirits, people who've been terribly sick, people who've been disabled from birth, every single one was released. This, this is amazing and time for great joy. But not, not for everybody. Not for everybody. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him. So again, we see the same thing that we saw in Acts 4, that some people have a vested interest in the power structure the way that it is, in, in being honored the way that they are. And they don't care about truth. What they care about is being in positions of honor and positions of power in this world, in this life. That's all they've got, so they've got to knock themselves out. The high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, again, those that don't believe in the resurrection, and, and this preaching of the resurrection and seeing the power of Christ after his resurrection, it just completely upsets their doctrine. Their doctrine is completely ridiculed. It's completely diminished. We might as well just throw it out the window as all these people are being healed and realizing who the teachers of truth really are. They're not going to listen to these people anymore. So they're filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. Again, the, the, the miraculous working of God and brought them forth and said, so, so once they, so they've been imprisoned, once they're released, and we saw this in chapter four when they went back to the congregation and the congregation prayed that they'd be filled with boldness to preach this word. And here now they're imprisoned and the angel releases them, and, and the angel doesn't say, run for your life, run for your, it's all about you, run for your life. No, it's all about Christ and being witnesses for Christ. And so he says, go, stand, don't run, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So go straight back to the temple and tell the people the testimony that Christ has given you, and tell the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. They didn't sleep in. They didn't drag their feet. They didn't say, "Oh, do we do we have to?" Maybe you know, let's just have a let's let's just have another big breakfast, and, and maybe this is our last breakfast. They got up early and went straight to work, and they taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, so they came to the prison, these men were supposed to be there, they're not there. They returned and told, saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety, like really. The prison was shut, we guarantee it. It was locked, there's no way they could have escaped. And the keepers standing without before the door. So not only is the prison locked, the prison guards are keeping guard. But when we had opened, we found no man inside. We found no man within. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. So, so they're seeing, they're, they're hearing all these miracles. They've seen all these miracles. The, 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 everybody is rejoicing in the miraculous power of God. They're trying to stop it. They, they, they've got the people, in, the apostles imprisoned, and miraculously the, prison, the, the apostles are released. And they're, they're thinking like, where's this gonna go? Like, this, this, is, this is awful from their perspective. This is terrible. Then came one and told them saying, behold, 
the same men who you put in prison, and the prison's now empty, those same men, they're standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers, and brought them without violence, for they feared the people. So all these people have been blessed, their, their families have been blessed, their friends have been blessed, people who have suffered, that they, they have seen firsthand this suffering, they've all been released from this suffering, and it's all as a result of the work of these men. So there's no way they can go in and, and, and rough them up and, and treat them violently, because the people would turn on them immediately, because they've been a source of blessing as Christ is truly a source of blessing for all mankind, the true mercy to all mankind. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. So they're happy to stone people, but they're afraid to be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked them, saying, didn't we straightly, like, weren't we clear? <laughs> didn't, didn't we make this absolutely clear to you? Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And you've done the opposite. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, which is the opposite of our doctrine. And we told you, don't do this. And now we find you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So when people put two and two together, and realize that we are the cause of the crucifixion of Christ. They're going to stone us. They're going to want our blood. So you can't do this. Again, it's not about truth. It's not about Christ. It's about us and our, and our cushy positions and our positions of power and influence. And we're not going to give this up. Then Peter, and again, this is all about the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. They're now facing the authorities, just as Christ said. You'll be brought before, before them. You'll be uh, kicked out of their synagogue. You'll be hated by them. You'll be killed by them. So here they are in the synagogues now, in, in their council. Then Peter and the other apostles, knowing everything that Christ had instructed them and that they're there to be witnesses, answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And, and we quote this line a lot. We ought to obey God rather than men. But again, we need to be aware of the context. The context is you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Our doctrine is that there is no resurrection. Your doctrine is that Jesus Christ was resurrected and that in his name you're doing all this wonderful work that he's alive. That's your doctrine. We want you to stop. Well, he says, no, we ought to obey. God wants us to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we quote this verse, we ought to obey God rather than men, what we should be saying to ourselves and saying to anybody who's listening is that we can't help but preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You might not like it, but it's the truth. And the Holy Spirit within us is going to preach the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there are many infallible proofs and many brethren saw it. And, and here it is the miraculous working in Acts of, of the resurrected Christ. We ought to obey God rather than men. We're not afraid of men, as Christ warned us not to. The God of our fathers, again, here it is, it's the context. It's all about the resurrection. That's what they were preaching boldly. And so they're being warned and, and commanded not to preach this doctrine, the doctrine of the resurrection. The God of our fathers resurrected Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. So you crucified him, but God resurrected him. And we're going to preach that. Him has God exalted with a name that's above every name. 
Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. So he's going to be the chief and the savior. He's the king and the savior. For to give repentance to Israel. It's to Israel. And there is no other covenant except the covenant with Israel. There is no covenant with Gentiles. doesn't matter who you are, who your prophets are, who your holy men are. The only covenant God has with man is with Israel. But through his wonderful mercy, that covenant is opened up to all Gentiles. And all Gentiles can come into, can be grafted into Israel and can be grafted into this covenant. And when the new Jerusalem comes down, it will have 12 gates. And not one of those gates will be a Gentile gate. All of those 12 gates will be the gates of Israel. And you have to come in through one of those gates. You have to be grafted into Israel. Outside of the new Jerusalem are dogs. And the Gentiles, all Gentiles, all human beings without the Holy Spirit are nefesh, just flesh, just, just, just temporary life. So if you're outside of the New Jerusalem, you're just temporary life. But if you're grafted into Israel, the true Israel of God, then you have repentance of, and forgiveness of sins. And we, so this is, this is what it is. So he's the resurrected Christ. We are his witnesses of these things. So you're commanding us not to preach the resurrection? For this purpose were we born. This is why we're in, this is why we're in the world at this time, is to preach, to be, to be witnesses to the point of martyrdom of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are his witnesses of these things. So, so they're his witnesses. Notice this. And so is also the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, whom God has given to them that obey him. So this is how we today in 2016 and beyond, all over the world, Christ says this gospel shall be preached in all the world as a witness in all nations, regardless of what men say, regardless of what their laws say, that there are going to be people empowered by the Holy Spirit all over the world to preach this gospel. And so we are as witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. This is, witnesses is a legal term. When, when you're going to be a witness, this is something that you, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you declare the truth. And so, you know, I wasn't alive when Christ was on the earth. So for me to say that Christ is the Son of God, that's, that, that would be a false testimony. Except for the fact that God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him, and the Holy Spirit, as Christ prophesied, bears witness of him being the Son of God. So it's the Holy Spirit in us that bears witness. And again, I call your attention to the antichristic movement of Islam, that the very first uh, step of becoming a Muslim is to bear witness that Muhammad is the prophet of God. You didn't meet Muhammad, you don't know Muhammad, and you're bearing witness, that's a legal term. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And so the only way we can declare witness is because the Holy Spirit is in us, and it's a spirit of truth. And here he says in John 15, when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. It's a Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father. That Spirit of truth, whom God gives to those who obey Him, who obey him He, it shall testify of me. Back to Acts 5. So we are His witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey Him. So all, all true Christians. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart to repent, to say, wow, okay, uh, we've heard the truth, we want to repent and we want to be forgiven. No, they were cut to the heart 
and took counsel to slay them. They, they, they just they cannot have this. These men are not going to stop preaching the truth, which the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, they've been empowered with. The Holy Spirit is just empowering them to do this, regardless of opposition. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee, so somebody well-versed in the law, named Gamaliel. Uh, so Gamaliel was highly respected. In fact, he was Paul's instructor, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and so he was held in reputation, uh, held in high esteem, and he commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So, so he's watching all of this. He's well-versed in the scriptures. He knows uh, what the scriptures say and what the prophecies say. And he says to the, to the council, um, send the apostles out. So I just want to talk to you privately. And he said unto them, you men of Israel, be careful. So, so you, want, you want to slay these men? Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody. And so this is, this is a key, key, key verse here. And we'll see this later in, when we get to chapter 8. This is, the, this is sort of the, the key because in, in Revelation it tells us that there's going to be uh, people doing these great uh, miracles. And, and, and what we look for, when Christ came to earth, he didn't boast of himself. He came and he declared the Father. And when the apostles come along after him, they didn't come and boast of themselves. They came and they declared Christ, the resurrected Christ as the Son of God. And so the Holy Spirit never, it's, it's, it's a spirit of, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, it's a spirit of love. And love doesn't boast itself, it doesn't puff itself up. So when we see men declaring that they are something, I am the, the prophet, I am the apostle, I am this great one, and we'll see this in Simon Meigs when we get to chapter 8. Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. So he, these men, this man Thutis, come boasting himself to be somebody. To whom a number of men, so people fall for this all the time. A number of men, about 400 men, they joined themselves with him. So they agreed that, oh yeah, he's somebody. And they supported him. He was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered. There, there were, and, and brought to nothing. So their work just came to nothing. So he rose up, he was something for a little while, it was not of God, and it came to nothing. And all those people that invested themselves in that movement, they came to nothing. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, without love, I'm nothing. But God is, a, God is love, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit of love and activates man with love. After this man, so after him, after Thutis, another man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing. And he drew away many people after him. So he also came declaring himself. And again, you know, what, what do they say? A sucker is born every minute. A lot of people followed him as well. He also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So they all came to nothing as well. And all the investment that they made in following him came to nothing. Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Sound the alarm when people come along declaring themselves to be some great person. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and leave them alone. Don't, don't do it, like, leave, like listen. I'm, I'm seeing things, I'm connecting the dots, I'm looking at the scriptures, this seems authentic to me. So I'm telling you, leave these men alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it'll come to nothing. It's, ju it's just gonna be just like the work before it. That, that the stone that the builders refused is going to come crashing to earth. 
It's going to destroy all the governments of the world, and it's going to establish the kingdom of God, and all of those governments are going to be ground to dust, and the wind is going to blow them away so that there's no trace. They will all come to nothing, and the kingdom of God will be established. God is going to do this. We don't have to do it for him. We don't have to go out killing people or, or trying to establish the, the hegemony of Christ. He's going to do it for himself. That stone is coming and he's going to do it. For, all we have to do is declare the truth. So he says, for this counsel or this work, if it's of men, it'll come to nothing. But if it is of God, which, which Gamaliel seems to be suspecting, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. You can't. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The stone that the builder refused will become the head cornerstone. You cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found even to fight against God. And that's our warning to anybody who wants to be antichristic. You cannot fight against God. Jesus Christ is returning and he is going to establish his government. And we're inviting all men, God is inviting all men everywhere to repent, to embrace the gospel, to embrace Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And do not be found fighting against God. And, and when they heard his counsel, they agreed. And when they called, so they called the apostles, so they listened to him privately. What he said made sense. If it's not of God, it's going to come to nothing. If it is of God, they should not be found to fight against God. So they called the apostles back. Uh, when they called the, and they just can't help themselves. Christ says you're going to be hated. So they hate these men. And they hate what they stand for. And they hate the doctrine that they're preaching. So they're going to let them go, but not before beating them. So they called the apostles, and when they had beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. So they repented here. Gamaliel talked them out of killing them, but they couldn't help but beat them. And then they want to command to them, look, don't teach this anymore. So they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And the apostles departed from the presence of the council. So they left the presence of the council. They've been arrested. They've been threatened. They've been beaten. Now they're let go. And when they departed from the council, rejoicing, they were rejoicing that they, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. This is true Christianity. Christ came and suffered. And he calls us to follow him. We should not be afraid of suffering as long as it's in his name. In fact, the opposite. If we are counted worthy to suffer shame in his name, and, and certainly around the world, certainly in the Middle East, uh, people are suffering in his name. And if you're a true Christian and you are suffering in his name, rejoice. Here in 1 Peter 4, he says, Yet if any man suffer, as a Christian. So don't suffer as a murderer. Don't murder someone and then you get arrested, you get caught, and, and you're going to go to prison for life or, or whatever is going to happen to you. Don't blow yourself up. Don't, don't, don't do these things. But if you suffer as a Christian, you're not killing anybody, you're not lying to anybody, you're not stealing from anybody. You're just declaring the truth as the Spirit gives utterance, as the Spirit empowers you. You're declaring to the world and to anybody who will listen to you, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Christ and the Father are one. If you hate Christ, you hate the Father. If you don't accept Christ, you don't accept the Father. They are one. This is what we declare. If you suffer for declaring that truth, that Christ is the, the risen, the resurrected Christ is the Son of God, if you suffer for that, don't be ashamed. 
glorify God on this, on this behalf. The fact that you were chosen to suffer for Christ. Glorify God. Don't be ashamed. And then the scripture then ends in Acts 5 saying daily in the temple and in every house. So they've just been commanded not to preach. They've been threatened. They've been imprisoned. They've been beaten. And now after all of this, they're rejoicing that they have been selected to follow in Christ's footsteps. And Christ told them beforehand what would happen. And it's not personal. It's, not, it's nothing against, it's not the way they look. It's not the accent they have. It's not that they did something in the past. It's just that Satan hates Christ. And they've been chosen to represent Christ. And Satan is working in the hearts of men against Christ. And so the fact that they should suffer for Christ is, is, is cause for great rejoicing. And so daily, after they've just been commanded not to preach in this name, daily, every single day, in the temple, right there in, in, in Solomon's porch, and in every house, they went from house to house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So they preached Jesus Christ to, to, to the Israel at large, and they taught more specifically in depth what, what Christ taught to them to those who were converted and, and, and you know past this prologue where, where, where you know, we're given these scriptures as a GPS as a way to help us navigate in the modern world and John told us that there's going to be an antichristic spirit that's going to sweep the planet and when it does this we need to declare the truth this gospel shall be preached in all the world as a witness and then the end will come that, that, that we, don't have to, we don't have to do this. We don't have to establish the kingdom. Christ is going to establish the kingdom. Our job, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is to be bold witnesses for Christ. I hope you enjoyed the study. I certainly enjoy it. I love the scriptures, and they're so empowering, so inspiring. And I certainly hope that uh, you'll join us next week as we continue in Acts chapter 6.